Welcome to the Semper Reformatic Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. I want to look particularly this morning at verse 13 and verse 14. Paul's long single sentence to the praise of the glory of God, praising him. Praising him for choosing a people in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Praising him for predestinating them to be brought into his family, the family of God, with all the inheritance rights of sons. Praising him for forgiveness and redemption and unity in Christ and giving them a down payment of heaven to assure them that they are his. And it's that last element of that sentence that we're going to look at this morning. At least we're going to look at the first part of it because it needs to go over two weeks. And all of that is framed within the framework, the sovereign work of the triune God. The Father elects us and predestines us and adopts us The Son of God, the Lord Jesus, shed his blood for us on the cross, redeemed us so that we can be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit seals us as Christ's purchased possession, his bride, and gives us a down payment of our expected and our certain inheritance. So we need to look at this very carefully. And we need to ask some basic questions we're going to do today. Going to ask, who is the Holy Spirit? And why is he described here as the Spirit of promise? And then, God willing, next week we'll ask, what does it mean to be sealed in the Spirit or with the Spirit? And when does this sealing occur? And we'll see that next week. But today I just want to do something very basic. I want to ask the most basic question of all. Who is this Holy Spirit of promise Paul talks about? Now, when we come together for the Lord's Supper, we frequently say the Apostles' Creed. It's a historical statement of the Christian faith. And we notice that when we come to the bit about the Holy Spirit, the last section of the Creed, it simply says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. One single phrase. And when you think about how long the, the, the creed spends on describing the work of God the Father and the prominence given to the work of God the Son, yet when it comes to the work of God the Holy Ghost, it's one single phrase. That makes the creed a lot different from some modern churches, doesn't it? Some evangelical churches, where there's a huge emphasis on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and a huge emphasis upon his gifts among Christians. Some of our more charismatic friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, may even look at us, and and they may think we're at fault, they may think we underplay the work of God the Holy Spirit. I wonder, do we? I want you to turn for a wee moment back to the book of John, not to John 14, but to John 16. Come back to John 14 in a moment or two. 
In John 16, we see something precious about the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16 and verse 13. And there we read these words. Jesus speaking again to his disciples. When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And here's verse 14, this is a verse you should be aware of. He shall glorify me. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Lord Jesus. Now let's apply that. Because when we come to worship God, we come to worship Christ, don't we? We don't come primarily to glorify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus and to help us to glorify Jesus when we're singing our praise to the Lord Jesus, when we're praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're worshipping him, when we're learning about him. That actually is the Holy Spirit doing his work, pointing us to Christ. We're not underplaying the work of the Holy Spirit. When we focus on Christ, we are actually obeying the work of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to work in and through us. And the the Apostles' Creed, therefore, and the historical worship practices of Reformed churches simply reflect the work and the focus of the Holy Spirit himself. So you will get churches where you will go in and they will stand at the front and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, come! And they will say, Holy Spirit, minister to us. And they will go on about the Holy Spirit when really it is the work of the Holy Spirit to direct us to Jesus and to worship him. The first thing we need to learn about the Holy Spirit is that he is a person. We sang that a few moments ago when we sang this hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. God in three persons. One God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. I love singing the Psalms. If I got my way, I'd sing far more. Only Janet wouldn't let me. But you know, uh, I have to make a concession. The Mormons can sing every Psalm, all 150 of them. But the Mormons can't sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Holy Spirit is a person. And that brings us to our very first statement about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. He is not an inanimate force. He is a he and not an it. Now I know if you read the authorised version right through, you'll you'll come to Romans chapter 8 and you'll find Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. And it says in Romans chapter 8 and 26, The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now listen. The authorized version is a translation of the Textus Receptus, the Greek text. 
We shouldn't worship the authorized version of the Bible. The Greek text here reads, Auto to pneuma. And the word translated itself is that word auto. And auto is the word that we get automatic from. Or autonomy. Or automobile. It simply means something that works alone. Something that works independently. Something that goes independently without our help. The Holy Spirit, says Paul in that passage in Romans chapter 8, is examining our hearts. He's knowing our needs. He's doing it exactly at the right time when those needs are troubling us and he knows exactly how to express those needs in intercession before God better than we can express them ourselves. And it is an indication of his personhood that he does that himself without our help. So Paul's simply saying that the Holy Spirit works here in an autonomous manner. In fact, if you read the Amplified Version, it simply says the Holy Spirit himself knows our need at the right time. That's actually a better translation than the AV. So he fulfills the criteria for personhood in many different ways. The Holy Spirit is described in the scriptures as a teacher. He teaches in Luke chapter 12 and verse 11. Jesus warns his disciples about the danger of persecution and he comforts them. He says, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour. Holy Spirit is a teacher, and the Holy Spirit speaks in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate me, Barnabas and Saul. And as we've already seen in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, the Holy Spirit prays. And the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4 and verse 30 can be grieved. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is a person. But not just any person. The Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God. Example, biblical examples of this. When Jesus taught the disciples how to baptize people, Matthew 28 and verse 19, they were taught to baptize in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God in three persons. One God, three persons, all co-equal within the Godhead and co-eternal. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit together with the Father and the Son are active in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was in the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the book of Acts in the New Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira lied 
to the disciples. They lied to the Holy Spirit about their money and the disciples told them that they were not only lying to the Holy Spirit, not only lying to them, they were lying to God. Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing to your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Paul teaches that God indwells the believers, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, he equates that with the Holy Spirit. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the blessed third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God and he is everywhere. So there's nowhere that we can go that the Holy Spirit is not there. I know that there have been charismatic and new apostolic reformation groups who have these apostles and prophets, false apostles and false prophets, teaching them that the Holy Spirit speaks to you through animals and through birds and all sorts of things. That's not what, that's not what we mean when we say that the Holy Spirit is everywhere, omnipresent. When the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism, it was not a dove that descended. It was the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. The disciples of John who witnessed this couldn't describe what they saw in any other words. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. We cannot see him, but he is with us. He is within us. He is around us. The psalmist described it for us in Psalm 139. And we, we read that psalm together. And we sang it together. Where can I from your spirit flee? Or from your presence go? If to the heavens you are there, or in the depths below. The spirit is everywhere. And he is eternal. He is the eternal spirit in Hebrews 9. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God, the blessed third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit, says Paul in our passage, is promised to us. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I know we have diverged a little bit from the text this morning, which is not my usual practice. But this is to prepare you for next week. So in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is promised to believers. Promised in the Old Testament, wasn't he? Book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, where it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, 
Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. We have the New Testament promise as well. We read that in John 14, where Jesus promised that after he went away, he would send another comforter. He would send the Holy Spirit. He says, I pray, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's an important phrase. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said of you. Promise. Promise of a Comforter to come. And then the fulfillment of that promise to the ascension of Christ on the day of Pentecost. The disciples gathered together in an upper room when the promised Holy Spirit was given to the church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting and tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. The promise of that Holy Spirit is to you today and it's to me and it's to everyone who belongs to the Lord Jesus. And Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. He made this promise quite plain to all of those who would listen. In Acts chapter 2, and verse 39, he says this, Rather, verse 38, he calls on this great crowd of people in Jerusalem listening to his words. And he said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And there's the challenge. The challenge today is that this Holy Ghost is given to all of those who are Christ's through repentance. For all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Today, that message of Peter is the same. The Holy Ghost is promised. He is promised to indwell each and every one who comes simply before the Lord, confessing their sins, admitting that they are a sinner and that they have nothing to offer God on their own. But there is nothing 
within me that would make me acceptable to God. Simply trusting Jesus for forgiveness. Promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So, this morning we've only learned some very simple things, and you may say to me, well, I already knew all of that. Well, that's fair enough. It doesn't do any harm to reinforce what you've already learned. But we need it for next week, so we can see how and when the Holy Spirit works by sealing those who belong to Christ, so that they are given a guarantee of their inheritance that lies ahead of them, and so that we can learn how we as believers in Christ benefit from the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.